0: This is episode 46 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, I talk about Houdini's radio illusion. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 46. Today's episode was originally supposed to be a blog article, and it all started, oddly enough, with a dream. A couple weeks ago, I had this dream that I was walking down the street and I came upon a building, a warehouse kind of building to be exact. And I instantly recognized it from a photo I had seen. Now I opened the door and I went inside and there was a small waiting area. And there was a fellow there who greeted me by name. He said, Mr. Carnegie, Mr. H has been waiting for you. Please come with me. That man was Jim Collins. Now, this is a dream. Keep in mind we went down this dark hallway, and then when we came out, I I could hear the sounds of machinery, drill presses and saws and such in the background. Uh, But to my left was this curtained area, and in front of the curtain was a, a, a large cabinet. And I recognized the cabinet as well. It's a butte, don't you think? Said another voice from behind me. I turned, and there was Houdini yeah. It's a dream. And I turned, I said, yeah, it's the radio of 1950. And he said, indeed, except it will never make it to 1950. It's going to disappear before then and be lost to time. And with that, he walked over to it, he opened the doors, and I was surprised to see when he opened the doors, I was surprised to see how the inside of it lit up. It was very, um, the, 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 the bulbs and things in there just cast a really beautiful light, and the whole thing was amazing looking on the inside. That's one aspect that is never really conveyed in the photographs that exist of it. Houdini then closed up the cabinet, and he turned the dials on the front, and radio sounds emitted from the cabinet, and suddenly a female's voice was heard. Then the sound became distorted. As soon as that happened, the top popped open, and Bess Houdini stood up from the cabinet. She stepped down, she introduced herself, and then they looked at me and they said, Build it, and you'll fool them all. And I walked closer to the cabinet and then turned to speak to Houdini, and he faded away. And then I turned to look at the cabinet again, and it faded away, and then everything became blurry, and I woke up. Strange dream for sure, with shades of that movie, uh, Field of Dreams. And I could, I could practically hear, if you build it, they will come. But in this instance, it was build it and you'll fool them all. As is my custom, I got out of bed, I went straight to my library to set about researching. It was 2.30 in the morning, and yes, I have no life, yeah. But my curiosity was piqued. So the first book I pulled down was Pat Culleton's Houdini the Key, and as usual, it was quite revealing. It gave the routine and method. Awesome. Excellent. Then the second source would be Houdini's Fabulous Magic by Walter Gibson. Hmm, okay. Quandary number one. This book gives a completely different method. Third source was askalexander.com. Now let me state, the radio in 1950 was part of Houdini's final tour, his three-in-one show. I don't see where it was covered much in the press or in the magic news. A little bit, but not a lot. My first thought was, well... Kind of the default thing is, you know, to hear people say that Houdini's escapes were better than his magic. His magic wasn't very good. Except, I I don't subscribe to this theory. Metamorphosis, for example, was a killer illusion. Walking through a brick wall was great. The needles, breathtaking. And I'll go out on a limb on this and say his King of Cards act, was truly a wonderful routine, despite how folks like Blackstone Sr. and Dante and Di Vernon and others wanted to poo-poo Houdini's magic abilities. I've researched the King of Cards Act. There was a lot of great magic in there, and it was a lot more than the short little clips of the uh, video of Houdini doing a few card slights. There was a lot more to it. Anyway, could it be... The radio of 1950s was a hidden gem? Well, I found the first recorded performance of this thing. And you tell me what you think. This comes from the pages of the Sphinx magazine, July 1924. The headline, Banquet of the Society of American Magicians held at the McAlpin Hotel, Friday evening, June 6, 1924. The 20th annual dinner of the Society of American Magicians took place at the McAlpin Hotel, and although we have had some wonderful affairs, it seems that every year we are getting more and more one of the events of the season. Taking into consideration the innumerable events, we are covering a lot of territory. The sensation of the evening was fathered, fostered, and projected by our worthy president. It was the transportation via radio of Dr. A.M. Wilson from Kansas City to New York, a journey of 1,500 miles. Six weeks before the affair, Houdini had laid plans. Everything was in the greatest of secrecy, The real radio connections were made, and after a preliminary introduction by the broadcasting station announcer, Dr. Wilson's voice was heard on the radio, he being allowed five minutes for his speech. Towards the finish, he called attention to the fact that as the voice could be transported, so pictures were being transported, why not a human body? And he said he would try. With a terrible static noise that filled the sumptuous room at the McAlpin, the radio box outfit broke open and out toppled Dr. A.M. Wilson, absolutely the picture of a man that had just been transported via radio. His eyes blinked, his hair was disheveled, his coat messed up, but it was Dr. Wilson himself, not a moving picture. Now listen to this next paragraph closely. It was the most astounding trick that had ever been presented in the history of magic. One newspaper called it Hoaxing the Hoaxers, another Sawbones Fools Magicians. No one could believe their eyes. It had been so impressively done, the secret so well kept, and we doubt if anyone, with the exception of the radio broadcasters and the producers of the mystery, and Dr. Wilson, knew what was taking place. That is the first recorded presentation of the radio illusion by Houdini. Now, granted, it had a different buildup, and to the audience, it seemed 100% legit. In other words, it was not being presented as an illusion, but rather as something that was really taking place. I was not actually 100% sure that this was the radio illusion, but rather maybe just a fun presentation that gave the inspiration for the the radio illusion later however dr am wilson writing in the october 1927 issue of the sphinx confirms that hardeen was indeed doing the illusion that he and houdini had first done at the sam banquet in 1924 so that description that was houdini's radio illusion the first time it was presented Let's look at the actual presentation from someone on the inside, Dorothy Young. From her book, Touring with Houdini, Radio was quite new in 1925. The first commercial station, KDKA, had gone on the air in Pittsburgh just five years earlier. So a magic trick about radio was a very up-to-the-minute feature. Home radio sets at the time were big cabinets with separate speakers. Houdini used an extra-large cabinet, about four feet long, two feet high. It had several large dials on the front, and a separate speaker shaped like a large flower blossom. To present the illusion of 1950, Houdini walked around and behind an empty table in the middle of the stage so that the audience could see there were no mirrors underneath. Then two assistants put the radio on top, completely filling the table. I would like to present my original conception of what radio will be like in 25 years, Houdini said. Tune into to any station and get the girl you want. No, gentlemen, it is not for sale. He opened the entire front, which consisted of two doors, and removed a panel that held various coils and transformers and glass tubes the size of light bulbs that were used before various transistors were invented. The audience could see there was nothing inside. He replaced the panel and closed the front. Now, he said, we will tune in to Pittsburgh station KDKA. He began twisting the dials. Suddenly a voice from the radio announcer announced, Miss Dorothy Young, doing the Charleston. That was my cue. As the orchestra started playing the popular jazz dance, I threw open the top lid, popped up my head at one end, and kicked one leg up in the air. I kicked up the other leg, clicked my feet together, jumped up, and curtsied. Houdini opened the front of the radio, lifted me down, and I went into a wild Charleston as the audience laughed and applauded. Sounds good. But we have a second description of the routine, this time from Walter Gibson in his book, Houdini's Fabulous Magic. It reads, A large rectangular table was shown on stage, and on top of it, a huge version of a radio cabinet from the 1920s about six feet wide, and proportionately high and deep. It was recognizable as a radio cabinet because it was equipped with the usual dials, which of course were oversized. The table, though, standing on high legs, was skirted with a deep cloth that observers naturally regarded with more than a slight suspicion. Houdini promptly raised the cloth all around the edges of the table and looked through from the back using a long pole to flip up the cloth, proving its innocence. He then had assistance lower the front and back of the mammoth radio, showing it to be nothing but a large box, except for a few tubes, wires, and other radio equipment. After the cabinet was closed, Houdini ended the last vestiges of doubt by removing the circling cloth entirely to show that the tabletop was simply a thin planking on which the cabinet was mounted. Houdini turned the dials and music came from the giant radio. It ended abruptly when the cabinet popped open and a girl appeared from within. Slightly later, while describing the method, he adds, the radio cabinet was then dismantled, shown empty, and put back together. This, of course, was within the context of the presentation, so this was prior to the appearance of the girl. I will tell you there is a difference in method given by Pat Culleton and the method given by Walter Gibson. Who to believe? Well, I'd say both, actually. Walter knew Houdini and was likely privy to the method. Pat, on the other hand, knew Dorothy Young, and probably knew Walter Gibson, too, for that matter. I think I can clarify some things without giving away too much. First, I was suspicious of the table being out there without the radio already being on it. But there is a photo of Hardin doing the radio illusion, and sure enough, that big box was not set squarely upon the table, but rather sitting kind of uh, at an angle. Dorothy doesn't mention the skirt around the table. I believe it was there from the start. And I don't think Houdini walked around the table to show no mirrors before the radio cabinet was put on, but rather... The radio was put upon the table first, then the skirt was lifted to show all the sides by that long pole that Houdini had, and he is seen with this long pole in the photo of him with the radio and Dorothy Young. As to the true method, I think both might have been possible. In fact, it strikes me as very Houdini-like to use both methods, even though only one true method was needed the fact the cabinet had wings does bode well for pat collitton's method now, i've noticed slight differences between houdini's cabinet and his brother hardine's the skirts that are along the bottom are different though that might have been just a matter of changing the cloth the fabric the cabinet itself has reinforced corners in the hardine version but again this just could still be houdini's uh, cabinet and they just added the extra reinforced corners for strength. And I, I might add, and I, I don't think it was ever presented this way, but it would be possible to produce more than one person from this cabinet if you used the dual methods. But again, I don't think they ever did that. What happened to the radio of 1950 after Houdini died? Well, it went to Hardeen. Who performed it? Then we see it listed for sale by Douglas Joffrey, who was Hardeen's successor and performed as Hardine Jr. It was listed for sale for $125 as Radio Trick Production of a Girl, used by Houdini and Hardine in their big show. And after that, it's gone. It likely would have been forgotten had it not been for Dorothy Young, who appeared in The Prop. She discussed it on a couple of Houdini documentaries. Magician Dixie Dooley also did a recreation of sorts of Houdini's radio, borrowing the premise but changing the method and the routine. There are three photos known photos of the radio illusion. The first one is the one with Dorothy Young poking her head and leg out of the cabinet. The second is the famous photo of Houdini on stage with many of his illusions and props uh, going across the stage. The radio can be seen in the background already on top of the tabletop, I might point out. And it's also in this photo that I first noticed the device on top of the cabinet that looks kind of like an old-style fan. Dorothy Young said it was a speaker that had a flower-like appearance. On John Cox's fine site, WildAboutHoudini.com, he did a piece on the radio illusion which featured the third photo, or the first ever photo, of the inside of the radio cabinet. It featured Hardine next to the radio. The photo came from Mark Willoughby's collection and was first featured on John's site and has since been copied on numerous other sites, unfortunately, but credit goes to them for allowing that image to be seen. If anyone else has images of Houdini's radio, either presented by him or Hardine, or even somebody else, please let me know. You can reach me at info at carnegiemagic.com. Now, there's a little bit more to this radio thing that I want to mention. And this comes from the May 1st, 1926 edition of Billboard magazine. They had this piece with the headline, Blackstone invents new radio illusion. Blackstone has recently invented a new radio illusion, which he is putting on with his show. A regular radio box, which turns all around so it can be seen on all sides, is shown. And the front part is open so you can see that there's nothing inside the box, and then the whole thing is closed up. On the other side of the stage is a screen on a frame, and a young lady stands behind it. A light is thrown on this, showing her figure unmistakably on the screen. Then this is connected up by wires to the radio, and the figure begins to fade out until the lady eventually entirely disappears. At the same time, a noise is heard in the radio box, and upon opening it, the lady appears in the box previously shown empty. It's a splendid illusion, reports W. W. Durbin, and most ingeniously worked out and gets over very big. Blackstone referred to his illusion as broadcasting a woman... Curious about the timing of his radio illusion, though, as it coincided with Houdini's, though technically Houdini's began two years previous. There is a third version that was called Broadcasting a Woman, and it was created in the 1930s by P.T. Selbit. This illusion was very different from the previous two and was used by the American Dante. I don't think it had any connection to Houdini's radio. Now, if you're wondering why I brought that up, the reason is I got to thinking about the whole Blackstone Houdini packing crate escape controversy, where apparently Blackstone had a packing crate, he claims, before Houdini ever did it, and his packing crate disappeared and somehow ended up in Houdini's basement. And I wondered, reading this thing about the radio, if uh, the radio illusion. Blackstone's version wasn't a way to get even with Houdini over the missing packing crate. Just a theory I have it may not be true, but it seems awfully odd that they both would have a radio illusion at the exact same time. The Danty one though, uh, which was the P.T. Selvitt one, was not based on radio. It was based on, I think, on television, on on broadcasting an image. So that had, even though uh, Blackstone had called his broadcasting a woman, the two had no relations. So the Selbit one is out of the picture. But the two, uh, the Houdini and the Blackstone one, they look similar, kind of, kind of similar. There's more to the Blackstone Version than Houdini's, but um, what I'm going to do is post a photograph of Houdini's version and then I'll post a photo of Blackstone's radio illusion as well so you can compare the two and um, decide for yourself. Now for the big question Will I be building the radio of 1950? Now I'll be honest. I have not yet decided. I may build a miniature mock-up, or I might actually build the illusion itself. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I think it has possibilities. From a steampunk perspective, which is one of the acts I present, it's very intriguing. From a historical perspective, it's also quite fascinating. Uh, Once I finally get moved, I will have access to my shop again, and I can build pretty much anything at that point. So who knows? We may yet see Houdini's Radio of 1950. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, find a way to like it. Different platforms have different like features, but hey, use them all. If you're on iTunes, please consider giving me five stars and a review. And I've not mentioned it before, but I am available to speak on the topic of magic history or on Houdini. So, folks, if you've got a radio show, a podcast, TV talk show, or documentary, please reach out to me, as I'd love to help in any way possible. Until next time, I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Be well and be safe.